Welcome to The Year Ahead, a mini-series from the Heinemann Podcast. My name is Minu Rami, and I'm the author of Thrive, Five Ways to Reinvigorate Your Teaching. I've always believed that teaching is harder if you do it alone, and teaching during once-in-a-lifetime pandemic is as hard as it gets. But by meeting educators around the world who are going through this too, maybe together we can share ideas, commiserate, and be a witness to each other's experiences. In this podcast series, we'll meet educators who are getting ready to return to school under the most challenging and unusual circumstances. In today's episode, we're meeting Bonnie Bentham. Bonnie teaches her students English in the School District of Philadelphia, and will be focused on building and maintaining student relationships during this unusual year. More information about our guest and resources mentioned during this episode are in the show notes. Now, let's meet Bonnie. Hi, Bonnie. Uh, welcome to the year ahead. This episode is extra special to me because you teach your students in the school district of Philadelphia. And that's the place that uh, made me an educator. Um, teaching the children of that city was the greatest privilege of my life. And so we, we share a, a bond that only the people who teach in the same city, especially in a large urban school district like uh, Philly, have. Um, there is a lot of unspoken understanding that goes with that. And so uh, that means a lot to me. And it means a lot to me that you would take time out of your your busy first weeks in school to do this with me. So thank you. Thank you so much, Mino. It is very special to be here with you, not only because you were an educator in Philadelphia and I still am, but also that I ended up teaching in the same school family that started your education trek in um, the Science Leadership Academy um, school family. Um, and I am, for your listeners um, and followers, I teach students at the second location, which is Science Leadership Academy at Bieber. However, we follow all of the same core values under different leadership, but it is very much similar, um, one school to the other. Um, and, and it's very special for that to have happened in Philadelphia public schools. Absolutely. Um SLA and, and shout out to uh, Chris Lehman and, and the founding team um, for what they have created and now expanding to a second location and, and a middle school. So, uh, it you know, it's it's my home uh, and it's my home in in many ways. So this is this is really exciting for me um, for people. You started to, to share a little bit, but I think it would be helpful for people who don't know you to hear a little bit about your teaching journey, you know, a little bit about what SLA Bieber means to you, a little bit about the context um, of your students um, and just your background to to the school. Okay, well, first of all, I have to give shout outs to my founding principal, Chris Johnson at SLA at Bieber. And then I have to give a shout out to Timothy Boyle, who we went through Philwit together, who is the founding principal at 
SLA middle school. So SLA where Mino taught was is just SLA. I was telling someone they just call themselves Science Leadership Academy SLA. However, when you read information through the schools, SLACC Center City, and we're SLAB Slab, and then the other school is SLAMS SLA Slams Slams. So we all have these little cutesy names now as a result of the growth spurt that has happened, which was seeded by Chris Lehman. So yes, we we do have to take our hat off to him. And also uh, Matt Van Kuhn, one of the uh, founding teachers in science, we did the Yale National Initiative for the teachers program at Yale University together. Um, he, he wrote the curriculum about um, the soybean and biodiesel gas uh, that year. Um, so he was really like our famous Philadelphia teacher at that time. Yes. And I don't even think many of you all are still in the business. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's the good thing about uh, that place. It kind of uh, makes you realize, um, you know, how else you might want to uh, contribute to to the world of, of education. And, and that's always amazing. So uh, your extra special connection to me was prior to me coming into the SLA families because you did the Twitter in chat. You put hashtags on the map for English teachers. And no one gives you those props, but I'm going to give you these props right now, right here, today, in a setting that many people follow and listen to. You are more than the bomb.com. <laughs> While I'm here with you, I just need to say thank you, thank you, thank you. So many tips and tricks and pedagogy and people were connected one to another, not just in the city of Philadelphia, but all over the friggin' world, girl. <laughs> you did that thing for us. You did it for us. You set the stage for teachers of English around the world because you're a change agent. You are a change agent of a solid foundation. So it means, thank you. It means so much to me, uh, Bonnie. It's a, you know, probably one of the things that people associate with me, but it was a labor of love for, for uh, many years. And at the advent of really the ability to connect uh, strangers and help them uh, become partners in crime and in the service of making teaching and learning better for, for ultimately for students. So uh, it's it's one of one of my favorite things that I had a you know small part in, but your your kind words mean so much to me. So let's get right into it. Uh, I love the the history we share, but this present moment is is unlike any other. And I want to acknowledge that you and thousands of other uh, educators in Philadelphia are, are lifting uh, over one hundred and twenty five. A thousand students up and trying to create some semblance of normalcy for them. So I'll I'll just 
get right to it. What What is it like? Uh, how is it going? It's just the first few weeks. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what's going on um, in your school and with your students? Uh, oftentimes in the literacy classroom, when we look for keywords and phrases, the keyword for me is kerfluffle. That's a good one. <laughs> That's how I feel. Um, like I'm kerfluffled. However, I keep moving to the next thing in order for children to feel like they want to be inside learning. I keep trying to bring the humanity into virtual learning as well. Um, we have to be able to talk with each other. We have to be able to laugh. We have to be able to even just see one another so that the, the virtual spaces that we're in, we can all feel connected in some form or fashion. And last week, the three days last week, I found myself saying, everybody, our classroom is now our bedroom, our kitchen, our porch, somebody's office space. But we are all sharing all these spaces together in the same time and same space to learn. So are, are, are all classes virtual for, for you right now? And what's your schedule like? What's a typical day like for you? So right now, I am an SLA teacher, which is a wonderful thing, because I can talk about both sides of that fence. At SLA, we are fair. 90-minute 90, 90 courses. We teach three. So I teach two English four courses and two days a week I teach journalism. So um, five days a week I have two 90 minute each courses and two additional, two of those five days I have the journalism course slash writing lab added on to my um, schedule. However, my friends, I used to teach at another public high school in Philadelphia, Overbrook High School, um, that many listeners might even be familiar with because it's the school of Will Smith and uh, Wilt Chamberlain and, and U.S. Representative, former U.S. Representative Shaka Fatah. Uh, so there, they are doing 8.30 to 3.30 five days a week and they have courses wow. all day long. Yeah. And I think, I think they get a prep. So it, it's just so different. Um, on Wednesdays, we also have a staff meeting, a virtual staff meeting. Um, however, staff meetings at SLA are quite different because they're not top down. They're in a distributed leadership type model that, those with the expertise, we want to hear from you in order for all of us to learn. And what we learn helps young people become better. And where, I mean, there's so much in, in what you said, you know, bringing humanity to humanities. Um, uh, the difference between being in the same district, but completely different teacher and student experiences um, between the two schools that you named and the challenge of the sheer workload of creating um, content because literally 
you are now a full-time, you know, in some ways content creator, like a, like a YouTuber, because you literally are live streaming all day long and the challenges of all that. So are there things that you're thinking about that you're prioritizing maybe over others? What's essential first for the teacher is you have to have at least two screens. You have to work with at least two computers. You cannot do this work on just one computer. You cannot, people. So if you're new to it, you know, be true to it and get two computers. Um, and, and I shared that with the other staff um, at my school. The second thing that I learned, and this is through going through coursework in the summer with University of Pennsylvania and then coming into virtual learning in my own classroom from the, the main classroom to breakout rooms. Do not just assign time to get the job done. Also allow for humanity time. Hi, how are you doing? How is your day? Where are you learning? So that young people can just talk to each other about Last night I did such and such because they're not walking up and down the hallway anymore. They're not on um, public transit together anymore. They're not able to go out to McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, Starbucks. None of that is happening. And where do they get to be human? That is essential right now. And that was something that I kept in front of our staff, even as we went through an entire week of PD Absolutely. prior to the first student showing up for class. And I'm, I'm so glad that you just called it that, because again, lack of coordinated response from essentially our federal government has put cities and towns in this really, uh, in this very difficult situation. And the thing that you said about structuring the unstructured, making time for what happens, um, you know, genuinely or organically is so, so important. And for educators to pause and to make room for that and to not see it as time loss is such an important, important thing because we're both also products of Philadelphia Writing Project. Are there things that you're thinking about in terms of building community for your readers and writers in your humanities classroom um, that, you know, you might want to share with, with our listeners? Uh, well, the first piece that I'm really dabbling in is Flipgrid, which is another software program um, yep. so that students can enter into, exit out of, and then enter back into. Um, secondly, the breakout room. One group today, I noticed a lot of them were shy and didn't talk too much uh, just normally. And how about the, the automatic system of breakout rooms and assigning people to breakout rooms of Zoom mysteriously put all the quiet people <laughs> in the room, which, which I thought was like, that is so cool. This is where it kind of has, it, it pulls the words from them. It pulls it. Um, and I thought, I thought that was special. 
so that they each had to take a turn because each one of them, interestingly enough, this is my first year teaching seniors at SLA. Mm-hmm. I usually teach ninth and 11th grade. I've had I've had that happen. Sometimes it's a blessing and sometimes it's a curse. Right, right, right. Well, for this set of quiet young people, it was a blessing because I knew all of them. I knew they were all quiet. I knew they normally didn't like to speak with one another. But I said, you all, you have to talk. And every single one of you is quiet. How will you figure out what it is you have to do? if you don't talk to one another and no one in the room is talking, that means nothing will get done. And so they, they, they were fine after that, after they realized they were very similar in nature. Um, they were okay with that because to have a loud mouth in the room like me and then have a quiet, quiet, quiet person, you know, there's always this angst that happens. Yeah. They have all like, soothingly quiet laid back folk <laughs> all together it, it was it was really nice yeah and it's hard to also learn about your students needs when you're not in person and you can't pick up on the on the cues and some of the nonverbal information that that tell you so much about a, a student's need you know how are you learning about your students' needs and in what ways are you shifting your practice to meet those needs in this new normal? I don't really have an answer for that yet, but it brings tears to my eyes to know that that part of the classroom is missing. Yeah. I'm a person that's just spiritual in nature anyway. Mm -hmm. I feel folks' energies. I'm sure you did too when you were in the we feel their energies. And that's a part of the calling into this profession. Everybody cannot do this mm-hmm. because it's more than just lessons of a text. There's more to this. And a part of that is that spiritual connection that's missing in virtual learning. But at SLA Bieber, what we decided to do was only teach one grade. So at least according to the child development scale, we know what we're dealing with. (laughs) We only have to, you know, kind of configure our thinking and our lessons in accordance to that child's stage of development. So that's the first thing. And then the next thing is like today, I can take today. I had a new student um, who told me she was new. And I said, well, I, I, never, I didn't know your name. Who are you? She said, well, I'm new. I said, new how? You know, it's hard to get a new student at SLA as a senior. Yeah. And she said, well, I came from, and she came from some charter school, you know, some charter school that closed. So I said, oh, okay, baby. And that's what I call it. Even though she's a senior, she was a baby. It just warmed that child up to me. And then she sent me three other questions in the chat afterward. She said I had an email on another screen from her. So just knowing like some of the oddities that happened, that was the fourth time I had that child, but it was the first time I knew she was new. But if she was in the classroom with me, I would have known that from day one. Yeah. So some things I'm not going to pick up on, like how quickly I would pick up on yeah. before. 
But it's also interesting that the care and the welcoming and, you know, the support that you showed is really the ground and the foundation, even in the new normal, that, you know, treating young people, no matter how young they are, with respect and love is what will help us get through this as best as we can for them and for for teachers. And that that never goes away. You know, as teachers, we mess up and sometimes students mess up and you have to look at every day as a fresh day and, and bring that grace and kindness to these relationships. And they're even more important now because we miss things when, when we can't be in person. So two things that I want to say is this is why as a Black female, we talk about representation is important. How can I be something I don't see in yeah. me? How can I grow to that when I don't see myself as that? So, you know, here we are in this virtual world and we're being cut off and just section cordoned off into certain spaces at certain times on certain days. You know, and especially me being a church going person, me knowing in America going to church, that's the most segregated time, 11 o'clock Sunday morning. It's the most segregated time in this country. Now we've done, you know, it's just, this is not nice. The teachers carry society in a way for young people where we make it okay to just be. Whoever you are, even if you haven't figured it out yet, it's okay. And the one thing I tell my students all the time, Mino, is you said it. I'm human. I am not a robot. I have feelings. I have emotions. And I am not perfect. So if I make a mistake, I'm, I have to say I'm sorry. Yeah, absolutely. I have to. And, and I have to really like look at what it was I did so that I don't repeat that same mistake. Um, because I think about the times that a teacher said something to me. That it still plays in my yeah, head today. Yeah. Whether or not it was good or bad. Yeah. It still loops in my brain. And 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 sometimes even in my actions. So this is like heartstring stuff for the people who didn't know before today that educators are dealing not only with matters of intellect. We are dealing with matters of the heart and growing young people to be a part of a whole in a community that they don't even have permission to make any choice. Yeah. But as an educator, I allow them to like come through that, come through that to be able to make a choice and a decision. And that's why I like SLA. Yeah. We're breeding thinkers. Yeah. We're not being doers. Yeah. You know, from your experience of segregation in society, what's going on in the world right now, um, the protests are still ongoing, protesting of police brutality against Black people everywhere. You know, there is um, increased 
And maybe it has always been this way, but it seems like there's increased violence in Philadelphia right now. And I think what I hear, an underlying thread in what I hear you say when you talk about young people's place in a community and what happens in a classroom is sometimes what's happening outside of the classroom enters your classroom. And you have to develop the tools to provide a safe space for young people to grapple with those things because they are part of those experiences uh, that, like you very, very um, acutely and, and accurately said, they don't have control over. Um, and the classroom cannot be a simply a place to exchange knowledge or information, but it has to be a place I like to use the phrase a sacred place where exchange of also the the hard work, but the hard work can happen too. Yes, yes. And uh, I forgot what I was going to say on that because I was just stuck with what you were saying. I mean, you are so right. Uh, Now, as far as the protest, that's what I wanted to say. I'm so happy that the young people are out there. Because I come from the cloth, because y'all can see the little gray hair <laughs> starting to pop. So I'm cut for the, from the cloth of get your education so that you will be accepted by the world in the skin that you are in. If, in fact, you have to deal with some adversities, just shook it off because you have a degree. These young people are like, I don't need a D-A-M in education for you to respect me. You can respect me and you're going to respect me right now in the skin that I'm in, in the place that I'm in, in the socioeconomic status that I'm in, and I'm loving it. So I'm telling the young people, I got your back. I got your back. However, on the flip side of that, I do a lot of work in politics. And as you know, I'm heavy in the union um, and all of that, which kind of safeguarded people of color yeah. for many, many years. But I am loving this. Um, I do civic things as well in my community. I live in Delaware County, even though I teach in Philadelphia. And I'm involved in organizations out here that is allowing me to educate families, that, especially families of color. Many of the schools their children go to their children are subjected to educators and professionals who they don't look like them. They don't even understand what's going on. And children are suffering in silence. But now they're starting to say some things. And as a person in a civic organization, we're starting to help them because they're calling out. They're like, hey, well, this happened. And, and like myself, I thought that my daughter not going to an inner city public school was a better choice because of who was running the school. I'm not, I'm, I, I tell families today, I'm not really sure that was the best yeah. choice to make. But what I did do on the back end of that, I made sure my daughter went to an HBCU. I said, oh, we're not, we're not doing that. Mm-mm. And my daughter was fussing with me because where I sent her is not where she really wanted to go. And, you know, this, that's at a time where children yeah. are making their own decisions. But I listen, 
we can't do this. We can't do it anymore. Well, by my daughter's second year, second semester, she was saying, oh, mom, thank you. Thank mama, you. mama knows best. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm really moved by what you said, that you've got young people's back who are protesting, who are speaking up, because if those who are listening are asking themselves, what can I do in this moment? It's that very thing. It's time to listen to young people. It's time to give them the, the space to teach us, to lead us, uh, because they know what's up. They know what's not working um, in the world, and they're speaking out, rightly so. And there are a few things that we can certainly learn from them. And, you know, I often um, hear this, or um, it's suggested um, in private conversations that, you know, politics should not be part of the classroom, that teaching is not political, but to think that is a, is a level of privilege um, that I don't know. And any, any person um, who has taught in a place like Philadelphia would not, would not have that, that privilege to think that way. And, you know, John Lewis passing this summer was, was a, a very important thing for me to reflect on. He meant a lot to me um, and to millions of people. Uh, but, you know, of, of all the civil rights heroes, I, I felt most connected to him. And I loved his spirit of rooting for the young people that were out in the streets um, till his, you know, last days on earth. Um, he was supporting them and, and he was rooting for them. And um, his light is, is, you know, still with us and, and it guides us. And it guides our conscience uh, as he was the conscious of the Congress. So um, I love this idea of bringing your your civic identity to to your um, classroom. You mentioned the the your union role. Um, I know that um, you know that can often be a difficult balance. Um, how do you think about you know your your work? you know, as a classroom teacher and then your responsibilities to represent your your brothers and sisters in the union? How do you balance that? How do you think about that in your own life? Uh, how I think about it in my own life is simply, I am because unions were. My mother worked in education as well, and my father was a U.S. postal worker. Um, they would not have had the opportunity to be or even make the money that they make, or send both their children to college if it were not for unions, period, period. So it's very important for me. Um, also, really, Mino and, and to everyone who's listening, in Philadelphia, in the Philadelphia Federation of Teachers, I sit on the executive board. Um, and really, there is uh, an inside problem within our own union. Younger people are rising up and saying, well, we know best and we want to take over. And um, the people who came up through the ranks of the union are holding it down. And I'm a, I'm a part of the people who came up through the union and are holding it down kind of thought process. Um, while the young people are saying, okay, but we know what we're doing and let us in. 
instead of like for that, I don't know. This is a whole argument in my head, but there are other ways to get in. You don't have to fight to get in your union. You're already in it. You know, you don't have to, if you have a difference of opinion or ideas or values or ideals that are different, get your foot in the door first. Now, see, that's something that black people have always done. We've always done that because we weren't accepted just because of the skin we're in. But we learned how to put our foot in the door, at least so we could get in. And then we start. Even a woman with locks in her hair going to an interview wearing a wig for the interview. Get the job. I have my locks. And there's nothing you can say because I got my job. You know, I got the job. A lot of young people aren't thinking like that. But folks' livelihoods are attached to union. Folks want to know that what you're willing to do for me will provide for me and my family, that I won't lose anything, that I will gain. And if I can't gain it, at least I'm going to stay steady on the path where I am now. So I think that's, that's an issue. And then the other issue for me, and I'm going to say this because I've said it before, how dare these folks who want to say on one side, Black Lives Matter, and then you have Black leadership, and he doesn't matter. And everything he says, you're like, no. Everything he does, he shouldn't have done that. When he's carrying all of us on our back, However, that's what Black folks have done historically. We carry everybody on our back because we're not all sectioned off like, oh, we're just going to do for us and not do for them. Like even look at Black Lives Matter. Everybody oh, everybody wants to jump a bandwagon. All lives matter. Dogs matter. Children matter. Everybody yeah. matters. All on the life of Black people over and over again. But then on the flip side of that, you know, I'm also into politics, too. And so when you talked about politics, um, that's big for me. I chaired a state senatorial campaign in my neighborhood. And I'll say this just so everybody knows. And my state senator is a white man and he won and I helped him get his seat in Harrisburg. Yes, I did. And I'm very proud of that. I don't think I do. proud of that work. And I'm an elected too, Mino. I don't even know if you knew that. I, well, I sit on the state committee for <laughs> my political party. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say it here, but for my political party, I, I'm a state committee member and I was elected to serve in that capacity. Yeah, we're recording this day after Labor Day, so we would be remiss if we didn't say that unions open doors and they open doors for access to middle class life for people of color. And they've done that for generations, and they will continue to do that. And I think, you know, when you share your your civic pride, and that's really what it is, it really makes me think that it's about the passion that you have for that beloved community or the idea of a beloved community and that community that is interconnected and interdependent and that you bring that spirit to your teaching and that that's what makes it important and hopefully transformational for your students that you can't leave it at the door. It, it, it is what 
makes you you and then it also shapes your teaching identity and in doing so in a lot of ways it makes your teaching identity better and and the connections with students deeper well that's my hope Mino and what you know as you talked about bags how often have we heard leave your bag at the door don't bring your bag in here yeah well, how can you just leave your bag at the door? Shucks, I am my bag. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. My bag is me. So how can I just leave it at the door so I do invite it? And, you know, and, and, and I think that part makes me a little, like, touched with a little taste of insanity. Because I like doing multiple things at one time. So now, even in my class, I don't even think the children recognized it yet. I told them we're doing three things in the first quarter. We're doing college application essay. We're doing political, like, I I didn't want to call it theory or framework. So I called it political propaganda. Yeah. Started with the U.S. Post Office. So I don't act like I'm a Democrat or Republican. I'm just a person who wants to get my dog on mail. And then. We're doing independent reading. Now, I'm going to ask you, I I usually do um, biography, multicultural literature, um, sci-fi. Those are my three favorite genres, but I'm looking for a different genre this year because some of the students had me three times. So they've done those three genres of reading. And I'm saying to myself, what do I want them to read this time? Um, what genre? And and now let me tell you what I did for community with that. Yeah. I gave them a list of bookstores to go to. If Amazon is a part of your sponsorship, so sorry, but we're not ordering from Amazon. We're doing from small, independently owned bookstores in our community. Yeah. And I gave them all the hot links and everything. You know, me starting at talking about the spiritual connection to people and teaching. I'm starting to tap into that about myself now. And that's what all this stuff is is coming down to. Because, you know, being raised as a Christian, we're, we're taught that some of that stuff is like, ooh, yeah. but some of that stuff is yeah. real. You know? And I'm like, okay, let me start yeah. looking at myself and what I've known. So in some ways, the very ways that you want to open the minds of your students, you're allowing yourself to look at things with fresh eyes and fresh perspective and maybe uh, not only going by what was taught or expected of you. Um, I'm interested in the idea of self-care and what that looks like for you. And maybe you have a tip or two for people who are who understand the importance of self-care, but maybe have a hard time extending it to themselves. Um, Self-care looks like making sure you go to the doctor. You have great insurance. You have great insurance, but you never take time to go to the doctor. The other thing is uh, I do acupuncture, you know, Tai Chi. (laughs) I've never tried that. I should try that. Oh, the acupuncture is wonderful. Now, my doctor is saying I need to walk more. What, what COVID has, it sat me down because I was a busy body. 
always here, always there. So because I'm sitting down, other things are starting to crop up. And what I recognize even is my love for cooking. I was never home to do all this cooking. So even amidst all of this loss, you you have found um, some new things to savor and new things to discover. Uh, Bonnie, thank you so much for your time today and for your very big-hearted conversation. Um, I'm grateful to to know you and um, to have you as part of my my group of people um, and. I'm, uh, uh, I hope that this conversation has been interesting for others. I've definitely learned a number of things. So thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you so much, Mino. And just know that I am more than honored um, to be here with you because you are a national icon in the business of English education. So you go ahead with your bad self. Keep on keeping on and keep dragging us with you. Yeah. Because I'm. Thank you so much, Bob. The Heinemann Podcast is a production of Heinemann Publishing. It is produced and edited by Steph George. Sound mixing by Steph George. Our creative producer is Lauren Audette. And our executive producer is me, Brett Whitmarsh. To learn more about the Heinemann Podcast, visit blog.heinemann.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>